Okay, this is actually the first time I've ever spoken in this kind of environment without, I'm very much a, a lectern person, so, <laughs> so <laughs> Matthew unleashed this morning. Um, a couple of um, very kind of brief intro things, um, most of this morning is going to be reading through the passage and I've just got a few comments here and there, but just wanting to spend the time to, to read through God's word and let it convict you and uh, change you and um, go into the week, in, week ahead, I just really... Um, Pray that you'll be thinking about these things that we listened to this morning and that it will actually change you in your life. Um, I've actually found it really interesting. This week I was listening or reading to the passage over and over again. Um, probably ended up being about maybe seven, or seven times probably. Um, and each time I read through, just pick up different things. It's actually um, just an amazing thing to do, this repetition of God's word and go through. So even after this morning, um, go home have a read of it, maybe tomorrow have a read of it as well, um, even the different formats. So I find I have my commute into work every day and I enjoy putting something on to listen to and I've been listening to the passage um, on my, my way into work uh, this week and it's been really interesting and then I go up and read it on paper and different things jump out to me because you tend to, your brain focuses on different things and each time you read through the Holy Spirit might just pull something out and actually encourage you or challenge you with that particular thing. Um, there's a bit, a bit of an overarching theme which I was impressed upon this week as I was going through it and I probably want to start with this, um, and it'll type back in a moment, but this historical question. And the question is, what's our biggest barrier to understanding what it was really like for these historical um, people who lived back then. Um, and this answer I heard by someone on that was that we know what happened next. Uh, we know the results of their actions. Um, when you're there in the moment, you're making a choice. You've got limited information around you. Um, you don't know what's going to happen next. Um, there's this huge unknown. When we go back in time, We've got hindsight, 2020 hindsight. Um, we can go back and have a look and be like, well, of course they did this. This was the right action, that's obvious. Or that was the wrong action, that's obvious. Um, sometimes in the moment, it's not quite so obvious. Um, and particularly when we're listening to God and God's directing us to do something. There's uh, several times throughout this passage we're reading this morning where God's asked someone to do something for him. And some of it sounds, if you try and think of it in the moment, it's just really bizarre. Um, Ananias going to pray for Saul as persecutor of Christians. We know the full story of Saul and his, and his you know, change into Paul and his you know, uh, massive impact as an apostle of Christ. Um, Ananias didn't have all of that background when he was there. He heard this really bizarre-sounding request from God saying, that, I need you to go and pray for this man Saul. Um, and maybe as we read through this, think about these things, and even in your life today, we look at these different things. God will tell us to do something, and it often doesn't make sense in the here and now. Um, and just encourage you, as we read through this story, to see how God faithfully worked through his people who did actually do what God asked them to do. Um, and, you know, in your life, um, in my life, um, pray that when God asks us to do something, that we actually have the courage to do it, even when it doesn't seem to make sense in the here and now. Um, so, without further ado, I think I'll start um, with some reading and um, yep, uh, put your seatbelts in and uh, here we go. <laughs> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest 
and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light, filled, uh, light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called, him to, called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So here... Ananias is really bizarre, just thinking this is the most strange request I've ever seen. This person who's been um, standing by in approval as um, uh, they were stoning Christians and doing everything he can to wipe out Christianity, he's now to go there. Um, but the Lord is patient with him. He says, no, this is something I need to do. I've got great plans for Saul. And Ananias, to his credit, despite the seeing around him thinking, I don't, I don't understand this, he's actually going to go and do that, and he does what God asked him to do. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. It's actually quite an interesting one. There's um, numerous examples in this passage of um, people trying to kill believers. And sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. We talk about James, brother of Jesus, getting killed a bit later. Um, and it just really jumped out to me how whether we live or die, whether we're imprisoned or free, that God is actually in charge of these things and that for many people, someone like Peter who was ultimately crucified, he had multiple times where he was released when he probably should have died um, but God hadn't been, wasn't done with him at the time. So um, we'll see just 
this recurring theme throughout the passage that um, sometimes um, God decides that, no, I'm not done with this person yet. I'm going to keep on, keep on doing things. And for other people, it's like, no, that's, that's the, the right thing at this time and place. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Um, Hellenistic Jews were a bit more um, kind of involved in the Greek culture and a little bit more removed, and so a bit of a difference there. Um, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now moving on to talking about Peter. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men into him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tenant named Simon. This is um, pretty amazing seeing these apostles of Jesus doing these miracles that Jesus did and it showed the power of the Holy Spirit had been left. Jesus had said to the disciples, it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit may be able to come and dwell within you. Um, and it's something of a challenge to me uh, thinking about this concept of it's actually better that Jesus has gone back to be with the Father because we have the Holy Spirit now. Uh, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
when the angel who spoke to him had gone. Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Uh, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This is another one of those examples of God telling someone to do something that just seemed to make no sense in the time and context. Now, thousands of years later, we can look back and see it with clarity and see the sense that it makes and how important this moment was. Um, but at that time and place, Peter was given this instruction, which is really baffling about eating all these types of food which were unclean for Jews to eat. Um, and again, it's just one of those examples of the Holy Spirit asking to do something which, if you try and rationalise it yourself, um, think it through, is, is, is really hard to do. And this, um, Peter actually had to step out in faith and God's told me to do this, I'm going to do it. Um, okay. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Uh, interesting here that... Um, I find it a fascinating theme throughout all the scriptures that sometimes God gives really specific instructions and other times it's a little bit more general. So if you think here, he, God didn't tell them specifically why the people came. He had this vision and he was trying to think, what does this mean? And then something come up and he has to ask questions about it. And there are other times where God's just like, this is exactly what you have to do. And we looked at it in Ananias previously. It's incredibly specific. Uh, if you go back to other areas in the Bible, you can look at Noah. He was given incredibly specific instructions about building the ark. And then there's Abraham who was told to go where God will show him. Um, it's, I think it's really important not to put God in a box and how he directs us, that there are, he has his ways and means and sometimes he knows that we need a specific, really clear instruction and other times he's like, no, trust me. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why he sent for me? Cornelius answered, 
Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the, on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I think it's actually really, really difficult to understand the significance of this event in, in, a, in a modern context. The, uh, up until this point, Christianity had been a Jewish thing. Jesus had come to the, primarily to talk to the Jews and that they were witnessing to other Jews and there was very little of anything happening to the Gentiles. And in the modern context today, we see that it's actually the completely flipped that we find that the vast majority of Christians are not Jews. Um, and we actually have to thank God's intervention in this particular time to, uh, for that, that without God doing his thing and actually making sure his early church was aware of the need to go out to the whole world, they may have just stayed in as a Jewish thing and that the, the good news could have just been locked away for this very, uh, very small people group that was fairly um, separate from everyone else. They didn't like to associate too much with people who weren't Jews. Um, but God had much bigger plans than that because Christianity is universal. It's, um, it's good news to everyone. Um, and it's, it's amazing. I was just reflecting on how throughout the world that if you go to a church in different countries, they all, they all can be a bit different, that we have different ways of worshipping God within our own culture, that it's actually an international thing that's not tied to one culture and one time and place, that we're... Um, Christianity is applicable to all people in all cultures and in all places. Um, and I think it's just really um, good to just ponder on the significance of this and how much change it made. 
Uh, in hindsight, we can see that this is not really out of the blue. They probably hadn't really been tying all this together, but we can see throughout scriptures that God's been putting these indicators out there that this is not just about the Jews, that I'm actually going to make the Jews uh, people important for the entire world. Um, you can look at um, someone like Melchizedek in the Old Testament or Job, not Jews, that God's doing this work through them, that he's working, setting up these little um, things throughout the Bible. So when this comes, we can now look back and say, yes, this makes perfect sense. It's actually consistent um, with what we, we see in the rest of the Bible. Um, but that's, again, this concept of hindsight I was talking about. When you're in the here and now, um, there's this instruction from God which doesn't make sense in the, the culture they're in, uh, the time and place they are, um, but Peter's willing to, to go with it. He's trusting God that he knows what he's doing and that despite his reservations, that God's the one who's ultimately in control there. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, the three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, it's amazing, this, um, these recurring themes, of they're just, just not sure about these Gentiles. It's um, very much a, um, a huge change of um, heart for these people to go through. Um, and I think it's really important for us in modern day life to think about these things other there's so much of our Christianity that can have cultural elements to it and maybe when God is actually showing stuff we actually need to look into ourselves and think is this something that's just me am I holding this particular view because that's part of the culture that I'm in is it actually something that's from the Bible and um, and and being willing to actually look that if God challenges you that oh, this particular part of you know what I believe to be Christianity is actually a cultural thing and that I actually need to um, go back to the Bible with this. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent to Barnabas to Antioch. Sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first to Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval from the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. Now this next line sounds like a, a very mild way of putting a, a very uh, big thing. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. Um, I imagine that's, um, yes, very much the case. Um, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Um, this is um, a story talking about earlier, this concept of God just had 
having his will done. That sometimes it means to be in prison, sometimes it means to be released from prison, sometimes it means to be killed for his name, and other times it means to be spared. Um, and you just see this through the Book of Acts just, um, very consistently. There's lots of different times um, where someone would go to prison, sometimes they'd be, be there for a while because that's what God wanted. Um, and it's actually really comforting to think that these different circumstances when things come against us that God does have a plan through this, that he is in control of these circumstances. Um, he uses um, good and bad. There's times where he won't allow this bad thing to happen, that it's not a part of his will at that time. And there are other times where he does allow it. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. One, this is another just remarkable story of Herod receiving judgment and it actually has some similarities to the story of Ananias and Sapphira earlier, that there was just these things where people coming against God, but God's like, no, you can't do that. And there are some things that um, he's, he's pronouncing judgment. Herod was out there persecuting the Jews, thought he had it all together, who's a bit of a populist by the sounds of it from the passage, just doing what um, people thought, you know, would give him praise and, um, you know, glory before the, the people around him. Um, Ultimately, he took that too far, and, and God judged him for that. And it's actually a, uh, a warning um, to, to everyone, um, both, both then and now. Um, now that is the, the four um, chapters for today. Um, just, yeah, I'd like to encourage you to think about listening to God yourself, obeying him, even if you can't fully understand everything yourself. That's just listen to the gods, um, use the Bible as a, a check against it. There's many ways that we can, you know, uh, check whether we are actually hearing God correctly. There's, um, you know, there's wisdom in, you know, wise counsel from mature Christians. There's um, the Bible we can look at and all these different things. But if we are sure that's something that God wants us to do, then we need to do it. And there's, these examples here show what happens when people did obey God and went with it. There are other areas in the Bible where it talks about what happens when people didn't do what God said. I mean, you can read about them yourselves, but um, maybe this week have a bit of a think about the importance of going with God, even if you don't understand um, why God wants you to do something.